Um, so um, about three months ago, I received an email from Greg, and it was um, he said, this is the upcoming speaker's roster. And I thought, oh, this is cool that he's emailing me about this. I'm not sure why it's any of my business. Um, then I was like, hey, that, I know that guy. That's me. Uh, so yeah, here I am on a Sunday evening. Um, funny, funnily enough, though, I was talking with a friend of mine about this just this week, and he goes, actually, you've been preaching for years. It's just like, this is a different format. Like, okay, thanks. Thanks, bro. Um, so the brief for tonight is how do I draw from the well? Um, big question. Um, but you know what? As soon as I started to listen, just ask and listen to what the Father was saying, it came really clearly to me what it, how it is that I draw from the well and what it is that he has for me to share tonight with everyone. And um, yeah, so here goes. Um, the, the answer to that question came in one word. And so what, what tonight looks like for me is really just built around one word, listening. For me, drawing from the well looks like listening. And so what I want to do tonight is, is talk about some standout characters in the Bible that have listened well, some characters that haven't listened well. Um, and then I'm going to give you some examples from my own life of when I've listened well, and that's it. No, I'm joking. <laughs> No, I actually, unfortunately, I have more examples of not listening well. Um, so I'll share those with you as well, because I think that it's important um, that we learn from our, learn from the process, right? Because like David Lake said, there's actually no loss in Christ. There's been times when I haven't listened well, and it's actually worked out well for me anyway, because he's good enough to cover it, right? And he's teaching me in the process. Um, so... Yeah, it was so funny. So he actually um, gave me this word listening before we went away on camp. And then who can remember, I think it was David Lake's Saturday message was about listening. I was like, this guy's got my message. He's speaking the whole thing. So I, I thought about just like replaying the whole message. Um, but, but actually it was so good because like there was some of the things that what he was saying, I was like, God, you're really speaking that to me. And there were some things that he hadn't said that I was like, there's, there's more to add here as well from, from my perspective. Um, and so, um, so here goes. So the first person that I want to talk, uh, that I want to look at is, um, in the book of Habakkuk. Who's read Habakkuk? <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's one of the, uh, smaller, smaller prophets, a guy that gets overlooked quite a bit, I'm sure. So if you guys want to turn with me to Habakkuk and, um, Habakkuk. And um, this is one of these books that, like I'll be honest, I don't read Habakkuk a lot, but it's a small book. So when I'm down on my reading, I just pick up Habakkuk, read it, and I'm like, yes, I read a whole book. <laughs> um, three chapters later, I, I can just tick a box, you know, it's really cool. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> Um, so, so here's this guy Habakkuk, right? And it, you know, for me, I don't really know a lot about this guy, but he turns up, and the first Habakkuk chapter one verse one, he's got this question. He says, "O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save? Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble?" And he talks a little bit like that, and you know, he's got a question. He's got a real question. But the, the interesting thing about this, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, this is going to be a bit of a, bit of a theme throughout the night, is it says, 
the Lord's reply, verse 5. Look among the nations and watch, be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told to you. And that really is a, quite a statement that we can have something told to us and not hear it. And so tonight, what, I'm, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a few people that had some things told to them and didn't hear it, mainly because they weren't listening. But the interesting thing is, in Habakkuk's approach, he asks the question, he says, why? Why is it that you're like this? And then the Lord turns up and gives him a reply. Later on, in verse 12, he has a second question, and it's titled, The Prophet's Second Question. So even for me, who doesn't really understand the context, I get what's happening here. He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. And he starts to talk about this other question that he's got. And it's a massive question, you know, and he's already learned through experience that God doesn't see things the way that he sees things. And so what I love about this guy is he turns up, he's definitely got a perspective, but it's not what's going to define him. He approaches God and goes, this is how I see it. Why? Why is this? And he's asking a question that's really healthy. And so he's not closing down what it is that God wants to say to him by not listening. And so... This is what he says at the end of this question. So he's got this big question, and then he says this in chapter 2. He says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I'm corrected. What a statement. He's like, I know I haven't got it together, but I've got a question, and it's a valid one. Here's the question, and by faith I know that you're going to respond. Because you want to respond, and I'm listening for the response. And um, so the first point that I want to make is that listening is a heart position before it's a verb. So I feel like it's easy to, to hear the word listening and go, okay, we're doing this. But listening to me, and the listening that I feel like God's been teaching me how to do and showing me how to do that draws from Him is really similar to humility, really similar to approaching him with, uh, I haven't got it all, I don't know the answer, but you do. And, um, and so that's why it's a heart position before I approach him to actually hear what it is that he's saying. I'm listening, God. I, I need something that you have that I don't have. Um, and so this, this, I feel like, is one of those themes that just hopefully never leaves us because is there ever a point where he doesn't know what we need him to know or isn't everything that we need? You know, I, I, um, I listen to Jason Upton. He's one of my favorite artists and he says, there are no experts with Christ. We're all beginners. In his presence, we're all beginners. There's never a point where we overtake him, where we're all of a sudden knowing something that he doesn't know. And so this position where we approach him and say, Lord, what are you saying now is such a critical position. Um, and this, just this week we talked about, we talked about in Life Group um, some examples of some people in the Bible who actually looked like they moved beyond what God told them to do in a good way. Um, and so we thought of two examples. I thought of another one later on. The first example was David who, um, who wanted to build the temple. Now, I might be wrong on this, but I don't believe that God told him to build the temple. He had it in his heart to build the temple. And so he 
was becoming like his father through this this process that God has us all on, right? This transformation where we're all becoming like him. Um, another one was Christ when he overturned the tables. He didn't hear it necessarily from God. Here, overturn the tables and get angry now. He was like, the word says that the zeal for my father's house consumed me. And so he was led into a place where he, like his father, responded out of who he was and it was right. Um, and the third guy is a lesser known fellow called Phineas who um, was, I think, the grandson of Aaron. And um, he he was a zealous uh, chap as well and he actually stopped a plague, I think it was, from coming through Israel for his, through his zeal. I'm not going to talk too much about Phineas tonight, but if you want to read about that, it's really interesting. Um, yep, so working through the uh, finer points of working from notes and speaking without notes. <laughs> um, so, so this is what I want us to do. I want us to listen for a moment. Has anybody here tonight heard the humming of the fridge at the cafe? Can you hear it now? Isn't it funny that I don't want to use that to illustrate as the difference between hearing and listening. So no one heard the humming of the fridge, partly because I'm probably talking over the humming of the fridge. But the moment you listen, you can hear it. And the listening, that position is what it is that I'm talking about where we are looking for something that we haven't got. There's a sound out there that is being declared that I haven't heard. And so that for me is a massive difference between listening and hearing. And they're really similar, um, but they're not the same thing. Um, And I know that um, when David Lake came, he said that one of the things that he does is he will spend time just listening. And I do that as well. I'll just sit and just listen. And I feel like the habit of listening, the habit of saying, God, I haven't, there's something that, that is in you that I haven't got that I'm looking for, this, this humble approach, this, this position of, it's actually a seeking position. You know, we're all called to be seekers of him, right? Um, and so that, for me, is, is just a sort of a practical example of what that looks like. So here's an example from my life. Um, now, this, is, this actually happened to me two days ago. Um, so this is a, an example of not listening well. Um, I much prefer examples from five years ago because if it's five years ago, I can pretend that I'm not like that anymore, or maybe I'm not like that anymore, but this was two days ago, so um, still probably still like this. Um, so anyway, I went down to this um, this place, so Sarah's just moved house, with, um, and I was, I was the guy driving the truck, so I went down to this place to go and pick up this truck, and um, I'm with my son, my oldest boy, and we go and sit down, and it's kind of just one of those mundane processes where you're going picking up a truck, he's giving you the keys, he's going to ask you your details, and I sit down at the table with him, and, and to be honest, I, he's just woken up from a sleep, like he's napping when I walk in the room. He's, he's napping, kind of irrelevant, but it, it just added to my, um, my perspective. And so I turn up, and I sit down at the table, and I'm kind of halfway through an email at the point where I sit down. And I'm sitting down and we're talking and he's got my attention. And as he's looking up phone numbers and typing stuff in, I go back to my email. Classic. You know, this is just sometimes what we do when we get complacent, right? And the guy looks at me and he goes, can you give me your attention? And I'm like, and I'm like, 
and I, and and to be honest, I wasn't like as as gracious as I could have been. I I sort of looked at him and I went, "You don't think that I can give you my phone number while I'm looking at an email?" And he goes, "This is a contract. I need your attention." And I was like, "Fair enough." You know, I was like, "Actually, you're right. I should have. You should have my attention." And it was a really interesting example of how I turned up with an expectation that wasn't the right one. You know, like I brought something to the to the table that actually wasn't it wasn't the right thing, you know, and it got exposed, thank God, right? Because you know, the the worst thing that can happen is that I get away with that and keep getting away with it and it becomes my lifestyle. The best thing that could happen is that it gets exposed and I and I step out of that into something more. And so I'm I'm not afraid of um the truth confronting me because I don't want to be right. I want to be found in the truth. And so when this turns up, I'm like, okay, right, this is, there's something that I'm not in that I can step into. And this is exactly what I'm actually preaching on on Sunday. I didn't tell him that. (laughs) 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 So um, the second person that I want us to look at tonight is Saul. So um, so let's look at um, 1 Samuel 15. Um, that's all, yeah. So probably not the best example of listening. Um, <laughs> I, can see what, I can see why the water's there. Who's that? Who's that? First Samuel fifteen already. Oh yeah, here we go. <laughs> you guys have got to keep me honest with these chocolates. I'll just forget about them and take them home. Otherwise, <laughs> by mistake. Yeah, yeah, by mistake. <laughs> um, so I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit because the, it's really this whole chapter. But I, there's a bunch of things that I just want to point out in here that that really really stand out to me. And this is actually the first passage that God gave me around this message and it really speaks to me and I feel like it's one of those passages that we've all probably read a bunch of times and it's been used a bunch of times because it's so, there's so much in it. So I'll start at, at chapter 15 verse 1 and it says, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel, now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lords of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Sounds like a pretty intense passage right there. And then Saul goes his way, takes an army with him, goes to the city of Amalek, and almost does everything that the Lord's asked him to do. And the word of the Lord comes to Samuel in verse 10 and says, I greatly regret that I've set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out all night to the Lord. So Samuel gets up, and he goes on his way to meet Saul the next day. Then Samuel in verse 13 went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And that to me, when I read that, I just hear, Lord, Lord, we've done these things in your name. 
And Samuel is like, no, you haven't. You didn't, you didn't actually hear because you weren't listening. Samuel said, what is this then? Because Samuel's listening. We'll look at Samuel after this. Samuel's a listener. He says, what is this then? The bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they've brought them from the Amalekites for the people. He says, the people. And he does what we do and he deflects the blame. And he says, the people speared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. We're doing this for you. This is Lord, Lord, if ever I heard it, right? The rest we've utterly destroyed. We did most of the stuff. And Samuel said, when you were little, oh, that's right, sorry, I missed this bit, verse 16. Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. I'm like, man, he had to tell him to stop talking because he had so much to say, but he wasn't listening. And what he had to say really wasn't that relevant. Samuel's like, I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he repeated back what it is that God had spoken to him. And remember, Saul here has blamed the people. But if we go back to verse 1 of 15, Samuel said, The Lord sent me, and Samuel had just reminded Saul this, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over the people. You're responsible for the people. You're their leader. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. He's saying, listen, I'm about to tell you something really important for this reason. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul still doesn't get it. But I've obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag. But the people took the plunder and he still hasn't get it and he's not listening. And Samuel says this, and this is the, the, the real centerpiece of this whole conversation. He says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. And that to me is such a powerful passage, you know, and um, the difference for me between sacrifice and obedience is really clear. In sacrifice, we determine what it is that we're giving him. But in obedience, he determines what it is that he wants. And so obedience is just doing what it is that he's asked us to do. It's not some fancy thing that we've drummed up. It's actually not what he wants. He doesn't want a, a, he doesn't want sacrifice. And for me, the the way that I sort of look at it is, you know, the Lord's asked Saul to do something that he actually doesn't take delight in. He's actually asked him to wipe out a people. Now, for me, knowing seeing this through the through the lens of love. I don't think God takes pleasure in this kind of thing, but there was a justice that needed to be worked out according to his standard that he decided to exact. And so can you imagine that God's like, I'm asking Saul to do this hard thing that I actually don't want to see done but needs to be done. And then Saul's like, I'm going to take it and present it in front of you like it's something that you wanted. Because he doesn't understand the Father's heart. He's choosing something which is actually not what he asked for. So let's go from um, from Saul to Samuel. So let's ju- let's turn to First Samuel, uh, chapter three. 
So um, we'll do the same thing again. We're going to um, read a little bit and paraphrase a bit. And um, I'm going to take a little bit of poetic license here, um, just in my interpretation of it. So in verse uh, 1 of First uh, Samuel chapter 3, it says, The boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no widespread revelation. Um, in the old King James it says, And, and there was no open vision. And... Um, You know the second, the second point, and if I see if I can find it, it'll turn up. Um, I can just about remember it. Listening precedes seeing, so listening will actually open the way to what it is that we see. So if we're hearing him, then he creates vision from what it is that he's spoken. So this is how important listening is. So Samuel, you know, I just, this is my paraphrasing. Samuel is a good Christian. He is ministering before the Lord. He's in the temple. He's connected to the big guy, Eli. He's like, who is basically the high priest. And, you know, he knows some people and he's set up well. But And we all know the story, but this is what happens. Samuel's lying down, he's ready to go to bed, he's got something that he wants to do, and he hears a voice, Samuel, Samuel, and he gets up and goes to Eli, he's like, surely that's Eli, so he goes to Eli and he says, hey, you called me, Eli's like, nah, I didn't call you, goes back to bed, he's lying down, and he hears it again, Samuel, Samuel, and he gets up, it's weird, okay, goes to Eli, Eli, you called me, I was like, nah, I didn't call you. And you can imagine this, right? Like Eli, you know, he's probably trying to go to sleep himself. He doesn't want this little kid turning up. He's turning up, you know, like if any of us have got kids and the kids keep turning up in our bed at night, we're like, honestly, what? Like if, if one of my kids came up to me and they were like, Dad, did you call me? I'll be like, I definitely did not call you. I'm going to sleep. Let's not be, let's not be doing this four times, all right? Um, so... Samuel, though, however, Samuel is a listener. So he's listening. He keeps hearing this. And on the last time, Samuel goes to Eli. And Eli, you know, for all his faults, actually said, it's the Lord. He recognized the voice of the Lord coming to Samuel. And he said, when this happens, this is what you need to say. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so this is what Samuel does. He takes the advice of his spiritual father and he says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, so this is, this is what happens. Samuel says, I'm listening, and then the Lord speaks. So he positioned himself to receive what it is that God had to say to him by listening. He was engaged. So the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And he basically talks about this thing, this judgment that is coming for the house of Eli. And it's a it's a big deal, you know, this is Samuel's spiritual father and he's just been told this from the Lord. So then Samuel lay down until the morning, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. And this is where I get this from listening precedes seeing because it's called a vision there. 
It doesn't say that he really saw anything. The Lord spoke to Samuel, called him, and explained something. But now Eli, uh, sorry, now Samuel has sight of what it is that God's going to do. He's actually seeing it. He recognizes it. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He answered, here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God, do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Samuel's like, well, I got to tell him. He's just, he's really laid it down. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And Eli said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And it's and for me, this this position is what defined Samuel as a prophet. He was, a, he was listening, he was hearing. And so the reason that none of his words fell to the ground is because probably they were the Lord's words. He was listening. So um, this is, the, this is the, the third example that I want to give, and this is another one that we know really well. And um, this is something that just really speaks to me, and I've been chewing over this for a little while before um, I really had uh, the opportunity to share tonight. And it's in Revelation 3. Revelation 3, 14. Um, and this is the resurrected Christ. He's in a vision. He's appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos. And he says, To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent." Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For me, that um, there's a whole bunch of things that I want to just talk about in there. The first thing that really stands out to me is there's another instance in the Bible that I read of a, of a beloved coming to a door and knocking and someone not answering, and it's in the Song of Solomon. And so you have this Shulamite who is singing these lovely songs about her beloved and how fair he is and all of these things, and she's, she's doing what she's doing. You know, she's made herself ready, I guess, according to her definition. You know, she's put her cloak on and she's made herself smell really nice and she's in her bedchamber and there's a knock at the door and it's her beloved and the first thought is it's my beloved but I've done these things how can I get my feet dirty they're clean why am I going to get out of my bed and go over there to where my beloved is because 
Isn't this what my beloved wants? And I feel like she has this perspective that actually causes her to miss out on the beloved at the door. Now, it's all good stuff, you know, like she's clean and she's ready. But the beloved's at the door knocking and she's not running to greet him. You know what I mean? And it all seems like really good stuff. And the danger for me in that position is that she, and I'll say it like this because this is how I kind of see it, she has an agenda. This is what he wants. This is what it looks like. I'm this way now. And she does get up. She goes to the door, but it's too late. He's gone. And so when I read this and I think, because let's be honest, when I read this and it says, this is, this is the resurrected Christ, right? He's standing at the door knocking and he's saying to us, behold, I'm standing at the door knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now who isn't going to open the door to the resurrected Christ? Is anyone here not going to open the door if Christ's knocking on the door? We're all going to open the door. The problem is that we don't recognize Christ when he comes because he doesn't always look like we want him to look. And that's the danger of listening with an agenda, listening with preconceived ideas. And I feel like Saul did it. Um, the the bride did it, and I and it's it, to be honest. As I've been um, writing this and just chewing over it over the last few weeks, it's everywhere. It's Peter when a vision comes down from heaven and goes. He hears a voice, and it's God, and he's saying, "Rise, Peter, kill and eat." And Peter's like, "Not so, Lord." Three times it happens. I had a bit of a laugh actually when when so so this happens and then the spirit says to Peter, Get up, get down, get out. That's what he says. He says, There's some people at the door, get up, get down, get out. Go with them, doubting nothing, because I've sent them. Now the difference for me with Peter in this state is that he has he's a broken man at this point. So take pre- um, crucifixion Peter when Jesus is telling him plainly and remember what it was that we read in Habakkuk behold I do a work in your days which you would not believe though someone tells it to you and here's Christ to Peter hey I'm going to go to the cross and die no Lord be it far from you and this is straight on the back of you're the son of God and Peter's not listening because he doesn't he's got an agenda He's still carrying his own way that things need to be done. And he hasn't actually really got to the point where he values what God is saying more than what he thinks. And that's why it's more important that we're not right, but found in the truth. Because if we value what we think more than what it is that he's got to say, I believe it's a barrier for us to hear what it is that he's saying. Now, I've, I've seen this in my own life where... Um, and I won't give an example of any any of this, but where we go, where I go, I'm praying for something, and this is what I want, and this is what I'm praying for, and God actually wants to work in a different way, and so I'm like, God, answer the answer is going to come like this, and He's like, actually, I got another way for you, and it really takes me to get to the place where I am crying out more for what it is that He's going to bring than what it is that I want. 
And when that happens, that's when he steps in. And I kind of feel like he's always been at the door knocking doing that. And it's taken me that long to get my shoes on and actually do what it is that he's asking me to do than what it is that I think that he wants me to do. Um, and so there's, there's a huge... I, I feel like we see this everywhere where people, they turn up with an agenda and I'm definitely not above doing that. You know, I had, a, had an example of that and I'll, I'll give you another example in a minute. Um, and yet at the same time, there's an invitation for all of us to let go of what it is that we think we know and allow him to speak what it is that he wants to say. Um, and so I had a really um, a really cool moment, and I'll share this with you because I feel like this is a word for me, but it's a word for you as well. Where I went to um, I went to the Arrow Valley Preschool last week. We had the sandpit opening, and so you might remember we um, took an offering up to to build the sandpit for this preschool, and. Um, We've got some photos and we're putting something together, so we'll announce that from the front in a few weeks about how that's gone and, and what that looked like. Um, but anyway, I'm there and I hear this woman, she starts speaking and there's a few people there and there's this introduction um, and she's just she's just uh, saying hello to everyone and talking about why we're here and what we're here to celebrate. And she, she says this, Hewaka eke noa. And I don't know if anyone's heard that proverb before, but I heard it. I'd never heard it before, but the moment she started to speak it, something in my spirit was engaged with it. And it was this interesting moment, and I I heard it, and I was like, I knew it was God speaking to me. And I didn't even know what it meant, and she said exactly straight afterwards what it meant. It means we are all in this together. And I was like, man, that's so powerful. And, you know, God's turned up and I'm, you know, in front of a bunch of people ready to cry going, this is not the time. Um, but it was, it's a powerful, it was a powerful moment. And the thing that I love about this, this is that his word will accomplish the word that he sent it to perform. And, and when I hear something like this, there's an outworking of this word in my life. And I've yet to see what this, is but I, I have a have an inkling of it but it's so powerful because to me I hear the name of Christ Emmanuel God with us man he is with us he is so with us and so when I hear this he's he's just saying to me you're not alone in this I am with you in this and more than that you're actually in this with your brothers and sisters as well because if one member suffers you all suffer and if one member is honored you all rejoice. And so I just want to share that because I feel like what it is that I'm sharing tonight is an invitation from the Father to hear, to listen, to approach Him, to let go of what it is that we think we know and allow Him to freely speak. Because so often what it is that He wants to speak will call us beyond our current understanding. I mean, let's be honest, Peter, when I'm talking about this this sheet coming down from heaven, Peter had no idea that the Gentiles were about to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But he was told, get up, get down, get out, and go with them doubting nothing because I've sent them. And so what I I believe is that when God is speaking, he's calling us out of our current reality into his reality. And to the degree that we can allow him to speak, to the degree that we're listening, is the degree that we step into that reality. And... um, 
Yeah, so I'll, I'll share you guys a little story just about um, about how this is uh, outworked in my life. Um, and, you know, I, I really, really believe that as he calls us out of our understanding into how it is that he sees things, he empowers us to live in that reality. Um, and, and But this doesn't come from what it is that we already think that we know. You know, the word, it's, it, I feel like it's really seldom that God speaks to me and he's just endorsing what I already think. You know what I mean? And so that for me is a really good test of whether it's God speaking to me or not. Like, if God's telling me to go on a cruise, I'm, I'm a little bit dubious about that, you know, <laughs> let's be honest. Because naturally it's what I want. But when God's telling me to get up and apologize to my brother that I've wronged, it's quite likely to be him because really, naturally, naturally, I'm not really keen on that. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, it's me? Yeah, I'm the problem? And he's like, yeah, it is. I'm speaking to you. And so I'm like, yeah, actually, that is God. But like I said, there's life through that. You know, when I come out of myself and step into what it is that is inviting me into, I see something that I hadn't seen before. And so that's... That's just um, something that I want to share is just before I went to Cambodia and it was 2014 actually, years ago, and he spoke to me and he said really clearly, if you want to see something you've never seen, stand somewhere you've never stood. Which is really <laughs> profound, you know, and I kind of, I'm like, God, you're like Confucius. <laughs> um, except that you made Confucius and, uh, and you're eternal and, you know, so yeah, poles apart really. Um, and so that's one of those things that's really opened something up to me because it makes me curious about what it is that he's calling me into rather than the comfort of where it is that I, that I already am. You know, I'm not going to see anything new by staying where I am, right? And we understand it physically. We understand it that, you know, there's times as a builder where I'll be working in different parts of Wellington and I'll go and work somewhere and I'm like, I've never seen the city from this angle before. Wow. And, oh, that's the way that that hill goes and meets that valley or, you know, whatever. And so practically that's true, but spiritually that's true as well. You know, he's inviting us into something that is beyond our current understanding and the onus is on us to give him our yes, if we can. Um, and so uh, for those of you that know me, you'll know that we have five children. Um, two of them... The youngest two, I'm going to try not to cry. Um, the youngest two aren't my birth children. They're not mine by blood, but they have every right and privilege that my children have. There's no separation in my mind. It's really, it's really interesting, you know, because I, I'm aware that God's given me a heart for for all of my children. And, you know, to be honest, none of our children are our own anyway, right? You know, and so I'm, I'm going to talk about a little situation that's happened there, and, and the reason that I'm explaining the family dynamic is is for this for this situation. So we're in this um, we're in this family group conference, and it's it's me, it's it's the lawyer that represents my youngest two children. It's um, the SIFS, or the Child, Youth and Family Officer, who is their advocate, if you will. And it's the two birth parents, so the, the, my two children's actual birth parents. 
and we're sitting there in the room and now, you know, I, I know that there's been a really powerful journey in terms of what it is that God's done in my own heart um, towards my youngest two children and, and the process that even prepared us to be ready for this. Um, and, and yet it's really interesting to me how much of myself was carried into this, into this equation even with him speaking and preparing my heart. Um, so we're in this, in, this, um, in this family group conference, and what we're talking about is about access, about how often the two birth parents are going to see their children, their birth children. Now I've had, um, you know, we're pretty green in terms of uh, what this looks like and what it's supposed to look like. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell me what it's supposed to look like. And, and so I'm just... I'm not the expert in this. I, I don't know. I definitely have an opinion. But I'm listening to what other people are saying, you know, and the SIFS officer has has said to us, um, so I think the access at this point is maybe once a month. So once a month, this uh, the two children, I think it was just one at the time, um, it was just one child, was being picked up from our house by a SIFS worker who didn't know my child at all and taken to this access with these two birth parents to spend two hours with them and taken back by another SIFS officer. It wasn't even always the same one. So for four hours, gone from the only people that they know are their parents or who she knew was her parent. And we were seeing the the knock-on effect of this. This was detrimental. This wasn't conducive to life and health. And so we would have uh, nightmares so, so not us, but our, our daughter was having nightmares for week, you know, for a couple of days afterwards. She'd wake up crying because it's disturbing. So, can you imagine your own child being taken off your hands for four hours to mingle with strangers and then come back? It's just, it's not right. And so, we're in this family group conference, and the the social workers said to me, "Access once every month is too often. I think it needs to be reduced to." Once every two months, or once every three months. So she'd been saying this to me for months leading up to this, um, to this, to this conference. And we're sitting there, and we start talking, and you know, it's all very uh, platonic, I guess is the word. Um, and then someone starts talking about access, about how often the children are going to be uh, taken to meet with their birth parents, and the lawyer says. I think it should stay every two months, every month. And the social worker goes, I agree. And I'm like, what? Because she's been telling me every two or every three months. And I said, I think it needs to be less than that. I think it needs to be every two to three months. Now, the birth mum gets up, bursts into tears and says, I'm out of here. I can't take it. And she's gone. And it's just me, the lawyer, the social worker, and the birth father left in the room. And the lawyer turns around and he says, why would you say that? And I said, because I'm the one that sees the knock-on effect of what it looks like to have children taken from the only parents they know and placed with people that they don't know for four hours. So we're the ones that are cleaning that up. And the social worker turns around and she says to me, the only way that I can see this working is if you're the person that takes them to meet their birth parents. And I'm like, 
occurring to me because you know as as part of my journey is that I didn't really want to have anything to do with the birth parents you know sadly because I'm like it's awkward what you know they want to be called mum and dad and we kind of want to be called mum and dad and there's a whole bunch of things that are, a whole bunch of dynamics that are going on that are uncomfortable and this is what we do we we try to step out of what's uncomfortable into what's comfortable and so what we want is our nice little picket fence and our perfect little unit without stepping into what is difficult and uncomfortable but as i hear the social worker speaking i recognize the voice of my father and I'm like, because I know that she's made a suggestion that's actually what he's calling me into. And I'm like, man. And in this moment, I have the opportunity to get ugly <laughs> and fight for what I want. And I'm, I'm looking at myself going, this is going to be pretty ugly. I don't think it's worth it. <laughs> um, or... I'm going to say yes to what it is that he's asking me to do. And I said yes. Thank God I said yes. Um, and so, you know, months have turned into years. And now from this position of standing somewhere that I never would have stood, I see something that I never would have seen. And what it is that I'm seeing is the heart of the father for his children. And I'm not talking about my youngest two children I'm talking about the birth parents who are people who don't know the love of the father and yet his heart burns for his children and so through stepping into what it is that I didn't want I find myself seeing something that I would have never seen without it growing into a capacity that I never would have had without it and loving like I never could have without accepting an invitation that he gave me and so um, at the beginning of this year, um, we had this, we had this uh, uh, birthday party for our, for now, so, so we have, uh, at the point that this happened, we just had a, a daughter, and now we have a son as well, so we have a three-year-old, and now we have a one-year-old. And we have had our one-year-old son since he was one day old, and so we are all that he knows, really. Um, and... Anyway, he, he, I take um, both children once a month for access for two hours and I meet up with these, these birth parents and the family and I'm continually moved by God's heart for this family because I'm actually part of the family, believe it or not. And I, how do you even make that happen, right? And so anyway, um, the birth mum texts me and she says, can we have the birthday party at the park, which is stepping outside of what's comfortable. We always meet at like a lollipops or something like that where it's safe and the kids can't run away. Um, that's just good parenting though, right? Um, <laughs> and, um, and so I'm like, I know that it's time for Bella to come along, for my wife to come along. And I said to Bella, this... I've said yes to this this park experience, and I I know that it's time for you to come along, but I want you to pray about it. I think I might have been less less stern in my <laughs> suggestion, 
Um, I said, I might have just said, I think this is God, but I, but I knew it was God. And I said, um, but I, I think that you need to pray about whether you'll come along as well. Um, and the kids need to come along as well. So I'm talking about my three older boys. And she's like, oh, like I had something planned that day. Um, and it's a it's valuable time for her, you know, because she looks after the kids, all five kids, almost all the time. Um, and so she's like, when two of them are gone, and you know. Anyway, and plus there's the awkward situation that she's just been invited into. And full credit to Bella, she turns around and she says, so she goes away and she comes back and she says, I'm in. And engages in a situation that she actually naturally did not want to go in, but she knew that God was in it. And um, it's it was so amazing that at the end of it, you know, we we both we jumped in different cars because I was going to work afterwards, and she took the kids home, and we were at this this park, and we spent two hours with this family, and we shared food together, and our kids played, and um, there was an extended family there. It was a massive massive thing, and Bella comes to me afterwards, and she says, she says the moment that that these birth parents had to say goodbye to their children. She said, my heart broke. She says, I just feel God's love for these these people. Like I've never felt it before. And I know that as she stepped into this, she saw something that she would never have seen if she hadn't said yes. She laid down her agenda. She laid down what it was that she thought God wanted in the moment or what she could have justified and accepted what was what was on offer. And um, <laughs> as I'm writing this, God reminds me about something that happened and <sighs> there was another thing that was said in that family group conference and the social worker said to me, so this is probably two years ago, at the beginning of this journey, when I said yes to stepping into love and out of myself, and the social worker in that moment not only said, the only way that this is going to work is if you will be the supervisor of this access, the social worker says to me, I have a vision for a day when two families will be at the playground playing together, celebrating a birthday. And I didn't hear it. And I didn't hear it because it was outside of what I was ready to hear. I wasn't listening. I It was beyond my capacity to understand. I was still dealing with the first step, love. And the prophetic word actually came out. Now, it didn't come through a Christian. I don't know if she was a Christian or not. It didn't sense the spirit move on that word that she said. It wasn't in a church service. Do you know what I mean? But it was the future being told point blank to me, and I didn't recognize it. And so I find that God will often speak to me in situations that are outside of the norm. He's not worried about what's convenient. He's not worried about what I'm thinking or what I'm doing, because to be honest, his word is such a treasure. It's the greatest treasure. The world can't afford this treasure. And so the responsibility on me, and even while I was getting this message, you know, he's speaking to me about some things, and I'm like, I have to drop everything 
to receive this because it's up to us to receive it, right? Um, and, and really place the value on it that he wants us to, repl- to place on it. Um, and so, like, I'm going to wrap it up, um, but I just want to ask us a couple of questions. Um, you know, there's been a bunch of things, like I said before, we look through the Word and maybe through our own lives that we can reflect on and say, here's some things that God's spoken that were beyond our current understanding. Nicodemus is a classic example. How can a man enter his mother's womb and be born again? You know, like he was hearing the words, but he wasn't listening to what was being said. Now, we we take these things for granted because someone else has paid the price to listen and explains it to us. But the challenge is still to be called beyond where we currently are by listening to what it is that he's actually saying. And so tonight as we um, engage in some questions and and listen so so what i've what i've done in our questions that are going to be handed out in a minute is to oh you can hand those out now if you like Rochelle um is to just spend 5 minutes listening just listen and and let let the sounds go by revel in the awkwardness of not talking to the person next to you for 5 minutes and just ask father what it is that he wants to say because I feel like he has so much that he wants to say to all of us. And oftentimes it's things that we've heard a thousand times that we haven't received. Because I actually did hear the social worker say the prophetic word, but I didn't receive it because I wasn't listening. And so there's some things that he's got to say to us that I want to invite us to to listen for and to hear. And the invitation that is behind tonight as I think I said before is that he is looking to engage with us to enter into a deeper relationship with us where he can tell us something that we don't know I mean Jeremiah 33 3 right call to me I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know he's doing it all the time so father I just thank you for tonight I thank you um, for this journey God that you are with us every step of the way, that you have not left us or forsaken us, that you truly are Emmanuel, God, with us, that we are not alone, Father, that you desire us to be where you are. You invite us to sit on your throne with you. In uh, Revelation 3, as I read tonight, you say, He who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so, Father, this is my prayer, that we would listen, be attentive, be engaged, that our our posture would be one of seeking to find, listening to receive. Because, Father, we trust that you have good things to say and we know that, that you are good, that you are the giver of all good things. Amen.